You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to Dropping In. A podcast of storytelling and interviews with your host, Winter Olympian Mercedes Nickel. Thank you so much for dropping in. This is Series 7, where I have some amazing guests that have truly outstanding stories to share with us. I will be chatting with Team Canada's Paralympians. So cool. So that is Series 7, and we have a new guest on Episode 62 that will be dropping in with us today. So let me give you a little inside scoop as to who our next guest is. This guest played basketball in high school and university. After three knee surgeries on the same knee, doctors said she would never play competitive sports again. Well, never say never. She remembered a classmate that played wheelchair basketball and decided to give it a go. And that took her places. Playing wheelchair basketball in the in 2014, she had earned a five-year scholarship to play at the University of Alabama, taking home silver at the Intercollegiate Championships, and she was named Most Improved Player. Then she represented Team Canada, taking home silver at the 2015 Pan-Pan-Pan-Pan, Pan, sorry, Parapan, <laughs> Parapan American Games and was on Team Canada at the 2016 Rio de Janeiro Paralympic Games, placing fifth. Moving into 2018, she and the team and Team Canada placed fifth at the World Championships. She is now a psychologist working with the women's Canadian para ice hockey team while working towards her PhD. Now, if that wasn't enough for you, she's also the vice chair of Team Canada's Paralympic Athletes Council, who serve as the collective voice advocating advocating the best interest for Canada's Paralympic athletes and Paralympic movement within Canada. This daughter basketball player, Paralympian, pan-paramedalist, psychologist, soon-to-be PhD, has achieved a lot and is giving back a lot more. Let me introduce Erica Gravel. Erica, how are you? Thanks for for dropping in. I just want to clarify one little thing. I'm a physiologist. A physiologist. Yeah. Um, I don't Thank think I would help anyone with a psychology. <laughs> a physiologist, <laughs> I'm so sorry. A physiologist okay. working with, and this is new that you're working with the the women's para ice hockey team. Yeah, it's um, it kind of came to fruition through uh, conversations and things lined up, and so um, I guess I've been kind of doing administration stuff for a few months, but my first uh, in person camp will be in July, so. Um, yeah, on the other side now. <laughs> so cool. Awesome. Okay. Are you ready to drop in with our rapid fire questions that are never rapid? 
I don't know, but here we go. <laughs> okay, here we go. Number one, do you have or did you have a lucky charm? No. Nothing? Over time? No, not really. I think um, I think over time, after moving all over the place and, and whatnot, it almost is one of those things. I actually, before games and even practices, I kept my, like, pre-game routine to like five minutes okay. because um it's like sometimes the bus would show up like you would get to the venue mm-hmm. right before the game or like an hour and a half so I, I wasn't ever really into um that type of stuff I don't know awesome yeah. okay that's fine. Boring. You're, you're not you're not the first person to say <laughs> that you don't don't worry about it uh number five yeah. What would be the favorite place that you went traveling with the team for basketball and then also for another one for pleasure? Ooh, um, I think Japan. Um, yeah. Or even, I even find the like South America really cool. Um, mm-hmm. I pretty much like any culture that's uh, very different. Um, mm-hmm. I find it's like even in Brazil. Um, and in Asia, it's like when you go into the grocery store, it's a cool experience. Um, right. And just everything. I really like the Japanese uh, culture, too. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, definitely Japan. Uh, as for pleasure, I don't know. It, it's tricky, but I spent some I went to like Greece um, a few years ago and that was cool just for the architecture. But um, this past winter, I decided to go uh, skiing in the Alps. And the thing is, is that I didn't really have a strong um, skiing background. So I actually trained um, this winter to do something uh, interesting and, and challenging. And so I would say, like, hands down, that has been my favorite um, trip. And yeah, it was incredible. Um, it was my first time skiing in the mountains. And my uh, my boyfriend and I went to Chamonix. So um, yeah, no, it was incredible. We'll go back for sure. Awesome. So cool. Uh, we will get back to that. The number three, big city or small town? Oh, I don't know. I find um, living in a big city now. It's, yeah, and you're uh, in Toronto, right? Yeah, I'm in Toronto. And mm-hmm. what's super interesting is that I'm originally from uh, Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. So it's a small city, um, kind of in the north. And so... <laughs> What's so funny is that when I was growing up, like going to the city meant going to Saskatoon, which is a population of like two hundred thousand. Saskatoon was the big. It's cute. City. It is cute. Yeah, it's really, it's super cute, and I absolutely love it. But then I, uh, from there, I came to Toronto, and I think it was a, a big shock to the system. Um, okay. So I, I feel like when I'm back home in smaller places I like it but then when I'm in Toronto there's aspects of the the big city I do like but I think I'm starting to lean towards uh smaller communities I don't know (laughs) as you live in Toronto you're like "Eh, I could get out of here now (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if it's just wanting to finish the PhD or actually get out of here Understandable, understandable. Um, All right, number four, when you were training in the gym, would you have like 
um, noise canceling headphones on or would you like want to hear yourself and hear your breath? Well, this is this is actually kind of funny because I think when I was younger, I would I would wear those headphones. But the thing is, is like, I'll be honest, like I sweat a lot. And so I was actually ruining my headphones um, because it's like when I was training for basketball. So I kind of like gradually went to the uh, like the earbuds and yeah. And now I and after wearing like um, earbuds, I just have a I can't wear the the big ones anymore. Like Fair. I just find it a lot other than watching movies on an airplane or something. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so so, yeah, so still funny. you have music in when you're working out. Yeah. You yeah. Yeah. I, 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 the other day I like took my headphone out to like, I was the only one in the gym. I took my headphone out to like, listen to myself breathing. And I was like, thank God no one else is in here. (laughs) It just doesn't sound good. (laughs) I usually ride my bike outside. So (laughs) yeah, too funny. Okay. Um, number five out of all of the games that you have played in wheelchair basketball, is there Mm -hmm. a standout? Is there a standout one that you remember? Um, I think, um, yeah, qualifying for the, the Paralympics in, in 2020 was, um, that was probably my, my most favorite game. Okay. Um, Where was that? That was in Lima and Peru. Okay. Um, yeah. And it was one of those things I feel that at the beginning of the cycle, we had a lot of turnover. Mm -hmm. And so, um, if we wanted to qualify, like we actually had to work really hard for four years. And I think um, at that time too, like it was a, it was a really um, crazy month, but I had, I was doing my master's at the time and I had defended or like defended my master's and then literally took an Uber from school and went to the airport to qualify for the, the Paralympics. And I think, just the intensity of uh, that summer to um, like within two weeks, I uh, finished my master's, um, qualified for Tokyo, started a PhD. Like it was insane. Oh my <laughs> and I think gosh. it was just, I think it was one of those things too where I couldn't really celebrate my master's because I was literally getting on a plane to go to Lima to qualify for the Paralympics. And I think just the, the intensity like of the master's and trying to qualify for the Paralympics. I'm surprised <laughs> you didn't amazing. come down with like shingles or something because of the stress. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it was one of those things like, it was really interesting because when I when I was leaving my apartment that morning and I still remember it clearly it was like and we had a pretty good chance of qualifying if we played well so I thought to myself I was like well you know next next time I'm back home I'll have my master's degree and (laughs) (laughs) qualify for the the Paralympics and in my mind like wow this is a pretty big two weeks coming up so um yeah, that that was probably my most incredible uh, two weeks of my entire life. Probably it was it was amazing. Lima, twenty sixteen, or in uh, twenty nineteen, because I retired. Like 
I retired right before the Paralympics last summer. There were just some things that came oh, up. Okay. So um, I didn't go, but I, I trained like the, the entire. Um, oh, you did. Okay. Koan and stuff. But yeah. yeah but. Um, and then you yeah, had no, an extra was, year. Uh, yeah. And then we had an extra year. And oh, that was, uh, that was just. So Something much. in itself. Like, wow. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Um, Okay. Number six, what other sports did you do growing up? We heard that you did basketball, um, not wheelchair basketball before your three knee surgeries. Were there other sports that were in your life? Yeah. So um, I guess one of the things I didn't really realize being from Saskatchewan and then moving to Toronto is just um, the cost of sports is so much cheaper where I'm from. And so I was, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, um, even like I coached in a, in a basketball league here for kids or high school. And I think it was around 10 grand and, um, where I'm from it, sport was never expensive like that to do. Like it costs money. So yeah, I was fortunate enough to, um, do a lot of different sports and, Mm -hmm. I would say like closer to grade eight and grade nine all through high school. I would do um, like softball in the summer and mm-hmm. then volleyball and um, basketball. And I actually played on the provincial team for softball and um, oh, no in grade 12. Yeah. In grade, in grade 12, oh. I had to choose um, if I wanted to play university, like volleyball, softball um, or basketball. And it's so funny because on paper, um, I was hands down like a way better volleyball player. Um, okay. Yeah, I had I had like NCAA offers for all of wow. them. Wow. Yeah, and even across Canada. But um, what's so crazy about my wheelchair basketball journey is that the reason I decided to go to the University of Saskatchewan was um, because Lisa Tomitis was a coach, a part of like Team Canada and. Okay. long term that was like a dream for me so I felt if I went to the University of Saskatchewan um I would have a good chance possibly of maybe getting like a part of maybe not like the Olympic team but there's like the University Team Canada yeah. um and then a lot of her players actually um it's normal for them to go play a few years in Europe so okay. um and it's so funny because I think I was so naive and oblivious to I would say all of the noise around everything because like one day I was sitting in my um grade 12 physics class and my phone rang and my phone never rang so the teacher was not impressed but she's like okay like answer it and it it was insane but it was the athletic director from Gonzaga University asking if I wanted to play basketball and volleyball there and I told him no I'm good I'm going to go to the University of Saskatchewan thing. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So, Holy. Um, yeah, but, I mean, what was uh, what was just so, like, incredible was it? I did end up at my goal um, just, like, in a different – in a different way so totally um, and it, and I think it's cool for yeah. the listeners and the viewers to understand that you don't just like start in one sport like for me I tried a million yeah. different sports and just having that opportunity to try them is something that's really important as well I think that's awesome oh yeah for sure 
Uh, okay, number seven. What would be the top place for you to train? Like my, if I could train anywhere in the world, where would I train? Yeah, like with your with your basketball team back in the day. Saskatoon. Saskatoon. <laughs> Shout out yeah, Saskatoon. Yeah. No, it's nice. um, I like I had a really unique experience where um. So one of the cool things about Saskatoon, I would say from a sport perspective, it's a small city and not like people know about it, but they don't really know about it. But there's like a lot of Olympic and Paralympic athletes that given the size actually go to every games. And even my sports scientists, like he's worked with some of Canada's top athletes, like Katrina Lemaydon, um, Mm -hmm a bunch of different Paralympians. Um, he worked with like Tessa Virtue and Scott Moore through an entire quad. And um, so there's him and uh, Lisa Tomitis, who, who was a coach of the Olympic team. Did you um, ever tell her that, 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 that story? Did you ever tell her that story? Oh yeah. We laugh about it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> because actually how the, the way I – decided to go there was she came to my high school in grade 10 in like Prince Albert, Saskatchewan and I'm still surprised she even went there because when I was when I was growing up like there was no club basketball or anything and she came to my school one day with Sarah Crooks who at the time is on the national team Mm -hmm. and I, I was like so delusional but I don't know why but Sarah um she said she didn't start playing basketball to like grade 11 or grade 12 and then made the Huskies and went to the national team. So when I was in grade nine or in grade 10, in my mind, I'm like, well, she did it with yeah. two less years than me. So if I practice every single day, I should have a good chance. <laughs> I, I completely <laughs> respect that. I respect that. So, so awesome. um, I owe everything I have to Lisa right now. Like, um, I really do. Like, yeah. Shout out Lisa. So, um, yeah, no, it's funny. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Um, okay, number mm-hmm. eight. You're in school for a PhD. Other than studying at this moment in time, what else can you be found doing? Um, it's been an interesting year. I think I don't know if you've went through the same um process, but I'm, I've kind of like dabbled in different um, like sports and activities. Yeah. Um, I've been, I always ride my bike. It's one of those things. Like I can't really run. So um, I'm pretty into biking. I would say like I go okay. most mornings. Like uh, um, road biking or cross country biking? Yeah. There's so many different kinds of biking now. Yeah. Yeah. Are no you... road biking. Road biking, yeah, uh, and yeah, then you talked um, about skiing. So that is funny that you're like you probably went yeah. to the same thing. I'm like, yeah, I get to do all the summer yeah. sports now. It's like so <laughs> fun, <laughs> you know, going from like winter to winter, winter to winter. Like I didn't get yeah. summer, so yeah, I hear you on that. I'm oh, glad you got that's out. That's funny. That's awesome. Yeah, started playing tennis. Like I take lessons once a week now. Um, nice. But it, it, the funny thing about skiing, and I even do mountain biking sometimes, is uh, now I can, I feel I can do all of the sports I wasn't allowed to do when I was right. training for basketball, like skiing and mountain biking. and um, All the extremes yeah, no, now? 
all the extreme sports. <laughs> so, so were you not broken? Enough. Did you have to like sign something saying you wouldn't do any of those sports when you were on the team? I can't remember. I Maybe. think so. I, yeah. In my mind, in my mind, I would say I was so for a long time, I was so focused on um, even trying to make the U of S team. Like, right. I think out of everything I've ever done, like getting that university scholarship was the hardest thing because like I was competing against people who played club basketball, who had sports science, like, the only sports science I knew in high school was that I just had to work harder than everyone else. Oh, and so, you know. <laughs> yeah, I would, it, it was really interesting. So I would say like for a bunch of years, it was, I chose not to, cause it could put me at risk of yeah. getting hurt and taking away. But sometimes I just, I missed like that, uh, kind of like adrenaline. Of, right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, well, th- well, this um, question will be a good one. The next yeah. one. Mm-hmm. Uh, number five what would be your favorite part of being on a team oh um I think in my younger years like I was in a I was in a situation where I was a rookie like for every single year because mm-hmm. just the timing and I think um I was a veteran forever <laughs> yeah I was a rookie forever okay and so like opposites one of the it's so funny because even in high school and university I always had like role models and people to look up to and I, mm-hmm. I feel like my favorite part about team sports um was like that family type of mm-hmm. feel and it's funny because friend being friends versus family are two completely different things oh family, yeah family yeah family <laughs> you, I first and has to like it's it was it can be so incredibly hard sometimes like yeah. I think um I think one of the biggest things is like having to hold yourself accountable to not be rude to people when you're um someone called it like halt so like hungry angry lonely and tired but like being in a team and not everyone is like that at one so uh, don't talk to me when I'm hungry people yeah, like, <laughs> we're not gonna get along yeah but but I mean just kind of that grind and um it's very like cliche but working towards those um really challenging goals especially on the national team like it's just so hard sometimes yeah <laughs> but yeah. it is still like this family, family that you make <laughs> that you <laughs> honestly they're also you're like forced. the people that you yeah you're forced to be with these people and and me I was yeah. competing against these people but like honestly if yeah. I were to talk to someone that I hadn't seen in 10 years that I was on the national team with it would be like we would pick up right where we left off Oh yeah, for sure, and because they know everything, just, they do, <laughs> and it's uh, yeah, it's just such a deep connection. Like it's so it, cool. Like you never, yeah. I don't know, working now, I I don't think I would ever have that with my colleagues. But you don't really travel with them. You're you're like, no. yeah, it, it it's very different. It's very different. Yeah, 
I love it. Thank you. Okay, number 10, the last yeah. one of the rapid fire that has never been rapid. <laughs> um, I did touch on it, how you do give back um, to sport now, but I would love it if you could elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah, I think um, I like I can like I kind of mentioned, but I wouldn't be here if it was if it wasn't for a lot of um, different people like like Lisa and uh, a good friend of mine, Dallas, and um, a family who let me stay with them all the time. Like all of my sports science people. Um, and all of my coaches and, and whatnot. So I think, I think for me, like for what I'm doing as a career now, um, like being a, a sports scientist and um, I teach classes and stuff, for me, it's all about like kind of paying it forward. Yeah. Um, and it's just something I feel I, I need to, to do. And I think, when it comes to a lot of the safe sports stuff now, um, mm-hmm. I think I had some experiences in sport, um, high performance experiences, most notably like when I was at the University of Saskatchewan where it was very high performance, but in like a really fun and inspiring way. And yeah. so I think for me, being in these more athlete leadership roles, it, it's about like trying to make like I think every athlete deserves that type of experience, and so, mm-hmm. um, and it's like like when you're given the when you're given the platform, like if you don't say something, no one else can. Yeah, like nobody else can. I mean, nobody else can say it. So you have a responsibility. Um, and you're you're vice chair of the athletes council for um, the para Canadian team how how did you fall into that it was just one of those things like um, I don't mean that you don't fall into it you devote your time to it (laughs) yeah um someone asked me if I would be interested um and I said sure I didn't really know much about it to be honest um Mm-hmm. And then I got involved and I think like in general working with the Paralympic committee has been so much fun. Like I really do love it a lot. And it's a great team I, over there. It really is. And um, I think out of all of the organizations um, I've like been a part of just the, the whole, like how they, they really do value the athletes and, mm-hmm. I think like with that too, they really do want to see um, like you kind of leave as the best version of yourself. So there's like even mentorship and, and everything else. And yeah, I don't know. It, it's been, I just love being a part of the team Canada. That's um, awesome. And I'm yeah. trying to help it's this a privilege. person be better. Yeah. Yeah. For the athletes, for sure. Now let's talk about, um, let's, let's rewind back to your knee surgeries. You had, you were playing basketball, able-bodied, um, three knee surgeries and the last one left you with no cartilage. Is that correct? Yeah. So, um, if like, for example, when a person gets a knee replacement, it's because they don't have any cartilage. And Mm -hmm. so, I tore the cartilage off of my femur and tibia. 
um, on the outside of my knee. So my knee kind of sits like this. Um, my bones rub against. Oh, your bones rub against. Yeah. For the listeners that can't see it, that's just like bone on bone. Bone on bone. And, um, yeah, it's crazy. Like even, I, I don't know how I, I realize it, but it, it's, um, it's coming up 10 years oh now, my gosh. like this, yeah, this summer. And, um, yeah, it was, it was so intense. It was, uh, a very, very life changing, um, moment. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so that surgery, yeah. the third, was it the third one that that came about? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it was pretty crazy. Like, so what happened was the year before that I broke my, I had a lot of injuries. It was, it was not great, but I broke my ankle. (laughs) Yeah. So I broke my ankle in September of the previous year. Yeah. And so it was one of those things where I really loved the program. Um, and I wasn't necessarily sure what I wanted to do long-term. So I thought to myself, um, well, I'll just redshirt this year and, save a year of eligibility then I'll have it what does red shirt mean it means like you practice but you don't play in games okay okay um and train and so I did that and then um, with a bad ankle yeah and I started like I changed a lot of things I would say from um I kind of brought my training to another level just from a priority standpoint when you're young yeah um I don't know if you kind of went through like this. Uh, there's a time to you know, when you step it up and then there's a time when yeah. you probably would walk away. Exactly. And yeah. so um, that year I trained really hard and I was in a practice. It was like the Monday of May long weekend. And um, I like just did a movement and my knee kind of felt funny. It wasn't like excruciating pain or anything. Like I finished the practice yeah. and then a friend of mine and I went for dinner and my knee started swelling up. Um, and then I went to the, the doctor and stuff um, the following week and they said, Oh, you probably have a bone bruise. And in my mind, I was so mad because I would be out for like six weeks or something. Bone bruises take and a then, while. Yeah. And, um, and then what happened was I like did an easy workout and my knee got super swollen again. Okay. Um, and then I went and I was so mad because I thought I had like a similar injury to before and I thought I would be out to December and I thought it was the worst news ever. Yeah. And then it, I it kind of is the worst new that news ever for an athlete that just wants to keep going. Yeah. And yeah. then um and then I he called me and he's like, You need to come into the office tomorrow and I was like, I need surgery. And he's like, Yeah, I'm like well, I'll be back in like January. So I guess it's not all that bad. Like trying to reframe the situation. Yeah. He goes, well, actually, well, actually, um, it's way worse than I thought. And it, you, you won't be able to play again. And this was on a just, phone call. He did that on a phone call. No, no, this no, is no. In I person. went in, went in person. And what's so crazy though, is that I actually, um, I actually had to call to cry right now. (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was, it was terrible. And, um, what's so crazy though, is that I called Lisa, um, when she was at the Olympics coaching in 2012. Um, 
And then, uh, yeah, that was my, my knee surgery. And then after that, for probably four or five months. I whoa, was, whoa, 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 whoa. What did Lisa say? <laughs> she, like, what can you say? Like, oh everyone. Gosh. And, like, it, it's funny because um, I think I had a lot of support. Like, I had a lot of, at the time, alumni who were my previous teammates. So, like, the way the the community um, did everything they could to help support me. Um, like, that's, that's what's it, important, It was incredible. Sure. This The school, um, all of my profs, uh, yeah. Husky, like, the athletic department, like, everyone did, they did absolutely everything they could to help me through that process. Yeah. Um, and then did it, it just click? Incredible. You had this, like, memory of – someone that you knew that was in wheelchair basketball well it was it was really strange I think um I think she was in my class or something and I just kind of said like like what is wheelchair basketball and she kind of um I think we were partners in something and she kind Mm -hmm. of explained and she goes oh anyone could come out as I was still on crutches and so in my mind I'm like well it's something to do because okay. I haven't been doing anything. Right. And so I you went from it. like elite athlete to, you know, on crutches. And, yeah, it's the worst. Yeah. And in my mind, I was like, so I, I was, I had the mindset of, I like train really hard from Monday through Thursday. Then we play games Friday, Saturday. And then every Saturday night, I would just go out. Like, yeah. <laughs> party so hard. I know. <laughs> You're yeah, like, this like, is my new life. <laughs> I thought I was on top of the world every single time. I had so much fun, right? Okay. Not conducive to high performance sport, but whatever. No. <laughs> and so the, the thing is, though, is that, like, when I hurt my knee, I was like, well, I don't have sport anymore. I can just go out all the time. So right. for, like, for a few months, like, I was just going out all the time. Yeah. making really bad decisions mm-hmm. um like started doing really poor in school oh, not gosh. eating well because like for me all that stuff was was for like to support sport, sport and not your actual yeah. body yeah oh. I hear you yeah and then um what happened was I kind of hit like rock bottom eventually mm-hmm. ran out of gas yeah you can't and... last on that for so long <laughs> no I like I like crashed like straight off the mountain into the ground. But then a couple of months later, the uh, Bruce Craven, um, he called me and he's the guy I was working with the year before. And I didn't know this, but he kind of like, he literally drew a T on a white piece of paper. And he said, you have two options. You can listen to me and do your physio and start working with a dietitian, sports psychologist. Um, and go see the academic advisor because it, it's so funny and no one back home can even understand that I'm doing a PhD, but I wasn't doing, I wasn't a great student Yeah. in my undergrad. Um, but then he said, you can do all these things and uh, you can actually make the national team for wheelchair basketball and go to the Paralympics. Um, so he's, and I had only opened that vision I had for only, you. Yeah, I'd only seen it once, like the one practice, and like I didn't really like it. 
Um, but then oh, you, actually, had you right played after, or you just watched it? Um, kind of both. I watched okay. and then sat in the you chair can, for like. You're like, I'm not into it. No, nah, I didn't like it. Um, okay. but then, uh, then yeah, yeah. <laughs> then he he told me that, and I literally was on crutches. I went to my car and I messaged Lisa and I said, "Hey, hey, coach. Uh, Bruce says if I listen to him, I can go to the Paralympics in 2016." I really don't know if either of them ever thought it would be possible. Okay. But she was kind of like, yeah, I think that's a good decision for you. You should try. <laughs> and then, I love it. Yeah. Then then the next day was like kind of back in going back to high school, just in my mind that, oh, if I train every day, I'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, see, it is. It's all about the like being yeah. positive. That's so amazing. Wow. Yeah, so how so did you end up qualifying for the 2016 games? Like, cause yeah. I would assume that everyone that wanted to go didn't get to go. Yeah. It's, um, I don't know really. Like I, do you get selected worked, to the team in a specific way or is there like an order? Yeah. I think there was around 20 athletes in like a pool, um, yeah. to get selected and, um yeah it was just it was one of those things I I just really really wanted to um go and that's kind of what um brought me to Alabama to to train there full-time um and everything else but like yeah it was intense like it was uh like four years of being so focused and everything like when I made the team I I like cried for three hours like I love it yeah (laughs) as you should as you should and then when you got to the 2016 games um Mm -hmm. did you guys uh go into the opening ceremonies and the closing ceremonies or was it just on the games because you play throughout the whole time right yeah, so we unfortunately didn't go to get a go to the opening ceremonies, which um, most people don't. Most athletes yeah. don't go, and a lot of the listeners might not know that. So I do think that's like a, yeah. a really cool tidbit to know. Yeah, and I, it's funny. I I think through my athletic career, I did a, I think I did a good job of having no regrets in terms of like mm-hmm. trying to be too high performance and intense and saying no to everything but um I I think I would like say to people like try to attend those types of things and um even the like did you go to closing we did yeah yeah that's the coolest one anyways yeah no it was fine um yeah it's just uh yeah, no, we played like the next morning at like ten or something. So yeah, you would not have really... wanted to go. <laughs> no, 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 we really couldn't. I guess yeah. I, I guess I wish with the opening ceremonies that they would have them like earlier like, or something. Yeah, maybe t- like let's say it's on a Friday and the games officially don't start until Sunday. Like yeah. just have the day after them completely off, so people right. so people get aren't to go. in those situations. It yeah. is interesting because there are some athletes at the yeah. Olympics that compete before opening ceremonies, and they're actually yeah. done. 
Like they yes. might not qualify and you're like, okay, the opening ceremonies haven't even started. And you're just like, oh man, what a crazy experience. So then they just stay in the village for two weeks. Who knows? Yeah, it depends on their country yeah. too. Um, okay, so how yeah. was the Paralympic experience for you? Uh, it was it was incredible. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I think because we had um we had Pan Ams, and that was my first multi-sport games in Toronto the, oh, in 2015. Those sounded amazing. They You're really like, were. Toronto did it right. Yeah, it was uh, – I just remember um, I was just so young, too, <laughs> and that was, like, my first, like, team <laughs> Right, and then you kind of get an like, idea of what it's like, right? Did yeah, that prepare and- you for the, the para games? Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, I think that like even if you're not necessarily out and about doing things, like the stimulation of being in a games environment is yeah. so exhausting. And yeah. I find it's like I know for me, I'm kind of like it's funny because I I am extroverted, but I'm also very introverted, and at that games, I guess I learned, like, I do need to figure out time slots on where I can have my own time, mm-hmm. especially in a team sport. So, oh, yeah, there were a lot of um, learnings like that, for sure. That was yeah, the biggest sure. one, though. Because you always have a roommate, right? Yeah, always a roommate and yeah. always, like, team dinner, team bus. Non-stop. Practice. Yeah, and... Like, I really like spending time with people, but then at the same time, it's like on a Monday to Friday basis, I live by myself. So I do get that alone time. Yeah. yeah. I think people are learning that during uh, the pandemic as well. (laughs) Oh, for sure. They're learning the opposite. I "I need people. (laughs) Yeah. Wild. Yeah. Well, yeah. any any huge takeaways from uh, the 2016 Rio Games other than uh, learning more about yourself? Um, I think just enjoy. And it's a fifth so place. cliche. Yeah, like just enjoy the moment. And um, it's such a privilege to be a part of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um. Yeah, I, I even know now, like, there's certain processes and little journeys I'm going through where I I am kind of stopping and, and being like, okay, hey, this is actually pretty cool. Right. Um, Rather than on to the next, on to the next. It's yeah. more like, take a, it, there is a reason people say, take a second to look at the flowers, smell the roses. Yeah. Um, because we are, I think as athletes, we just are so driven and focused to go on to the next thing that reflecting doesn't happen often enough yeah I agree like yeah yeah now I don't like I chase things but I I think I'm much more present and not always like just focused on the future but Mm -hmm. more so being like here I am right now and I'll eventually get there I love it so awesome yeah Erica where can people find you online if they want to keep up with everything that you're doing uh, maybe Instagram or Twitter, probably. Yeah. What are your handles? Yeah. So <laughs> I don't know why I did this, but it's I'm at the point of no return. Okay. <laughs> so my Twitter, my Twitter is uh is my first name and my last name. So 
Erica Gable. And then on Instagram, it's my last name, then my first name. So uh, Gable Erica. (laughs) A little bit of this, a little bit of that. Well, thank you so much, Erica, for dropping in today. It was a pleasure to chat with you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I had a great time. Awesome so much for dropping in today you can find everything you want to know about dropping in with mercedes at droppinginwithmercedes.com don't forget to subscribe on apple spotify and youtube thanks dj kenosis for the music and my mom for the intro voice hi i'm emily roger And I host a leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host, Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast, NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network.